there's so much going on in the supply chain. It flies in, I guess, so from suppliers. We haven't had this product for probably three months now. Shipping merchants. The current critical operational situation in New Zealand is causing significant impact to the entire supply chain and also the Maersk Ocean Network. We get stuff from the small builders. You have to stop jobs and actually walk off the sites and leave them as they are until we can get these materials. You're going to see a lot of builders, especially the young ones who are just starting, um, really struggle and possibly fold. All the way up to the large manufacturers, it's just ongoing and constant. That's Julian Lays, Head of the Building Industry Federation, and I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, how the building supplies crisis is touching so many parts of our lives. But there could be a happy ending. So are you expected to be the problem solver? (laughs) To a degree. Uh, I mean, I I was talking to a, a group of bankers at Westpac the other day, and they have a QA and a session. And I'm a positive person by nature, so I love to come up with a solution. And we were trying to sort of brainstorm through what are some of the things we can do. And someone said, oh, is it, is it going to get, is it better now or is it about the same? And I said, well, it's probably worse, actually. But, but I think it will get better in the long run when we get out of this. We're going to end up actually with a building supply chain that is, Resilient is better planned, better managed, but we're going to go through this period which is going to be quite painful. Very painful for builders and other tradies with stories of fighting in shop aisles, flogging from construction sites and hoarding. But it can't all be blamed on COVID. What COVID's done is it's exposed the vulnerabilities. It's actually exposed the fragility of the um, global supply chain in ways in which we may have had some sort of inkling at other times, you know, when we had the occasional, um, you know, natural disaster or something, but then it quickly bounced back. Now what we're seeing is under a period of prolonged stress and demand, we're starting to see that actually those things that we thought kind of worked, such as just-in-time delivery, actually are not as strong as, as we thought they were. And... Um, then when you add on top of that the, the, this combination of factors where going into COVID we had things that were being uh, downgraded, including international shipping. They were actually scrapping ships and now they're racing to try and build new ones. The dependence on, again, just-in-time labour. We would import labour when we needed it. The underinvestment in infrastructure and uh, local manufacturing all those things we, we kind of just took for granted, thinking that we could sort of rely on this wonderful global supply chain that always worked and that was always efficient and cost-effective. Well, it's caught us out. So, so we, we are in a catch-up mode and trying to adapt and adjust with a, uh, to a system that's fundamentally broken. Well, that's very depressing. And as you say, you're a positive person. So, <laughs> but, but as I say, look, we are seeing a shift now to more investment in local manufacturing. We're seeing uh, people take up and adopt technologies as well that they probably would never have thought of doing. Things like automation, AI, the things that might be able to compensate for not having the people to do the work, as well as you know cutting out waste from the supply chain where we may have done things previously that might have taken a little bit longer 
might not have been as efficient, but we just did them because that's how we did them. And those are all positive things. But Julian, that's not going to happen immediately, is it? And and I've just been speaking to a, a plasterer who tells me what it's like to go from place to place to place. And yep. they just can't get the essential materials. Oh, I was trying to pick up materials. I started off at Bunnings. Um, and I was after some framing timber and a, and, a, and some plaster, um, and they had no framing timber whatsoever. Darren McClay is a plasterer in Auckland. The Delta outbreak stopped him from working at Level 4, but it's the shortage of materials that's stopping him at Level 3. There were different materials there, but uh, there was there was definitely shortages of things like dressed timber. I, I, I went from there to ITM, they didn't have anything either. And then I went from there to placemakers and they didn't have any framing timber either. And when I said to the placemakers guy, what's going on? There's nothing anywhere. So have a look at the shelves. And it took me in and actually showed me the shelves. There was no, they didn't even have any jib board. They, 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 they were, the shelves were bare. So jib board is, is the most basic building product and they didn't have it. They didn't have it. Yesterday morning, I was with a builder in Shakespeare Road um, knowing I was going to do this doing this interview today and um and i and i tracked him while he was making phone calls trying to get some four by two and he could not find it anywhere and he said i've got a secret i know there's, there's somewhere out west uh, a place and they've got five thousand meters of it and uh, and he was smiling when he said it and and he rang it's gone and in, in three days five thousand meters went out of that place and it's gone and i left him and he still hadn't got it and he was far, phone call after phone call trying to get it not a chance I guess that means if you don't have the materials, you can't get on with your work. I don't know how builders are getting on out there, but um, my next-door neighbour is also in construction, and they're really struggling to find materials. I think it's going to get more scarce. I don't know how bad it's going to get, but at the moment I, I, I had a report of two builders fighting over the last pieces of 4 by 2 at Bunnings. I've had reports of people stealing materials off-site. If it's not locked down, you, you, know, you, know, you better keep an eye on it. So when you go into placemakers or Bunnings or wherever you need to go, what do they tell you? So if I go in there and I say, I want a few six-metre lengths of four by two, and I've got a list, and they go, no, haven't got that. No, haven't got that. And you, and you, and you go, oh, God, okay, well, I'll go to the next place. And then they haven't got it. And you go, what's going on? And do uh, they, they just, explain to you? Well, they tell me that when it, as soon as it comes in in an order then it's out, it's out again. The guy at Bunnings told me that they had three pallets of 4 by 2 come in and one builder brought the whole lot immediately. So builders are actually hoarding the stuff? Very much so. Uh, and, and it's got to do, I think, as well with uh, price hikes. According to a builder I was talking to this morning, he said there's been eight price hikes, hikes in the last few months and everyone's saying the same thing. And especially if you go and talk to people on the door, they go, well, as soon as it comes in, it's gone. Like it's, can they know it's coming in? and they're onto it straight away and it's gone. How does that work? I mean, so what, they're, they're putting in their order and they get contacted by the store that that material has arrived so quickly, come and pick it up. Is that how it's working? I think they get a word. I think there's people on the inside saying, oh, I'm going to get a shipment into this on Wednesday. You know, you, you probably want to get a... I think, I suspect that's what's happening. I was speaking to a builder, uh, Dan, this morning, mm. and, uh, and he said that he's on a site, but uh, he got his materials thinking that this was coming up ages and ages ago, months ago, and stacked and stored it. And I think there's lots of them doing it. 
I think they started doing it for the, from the price hikes and now they've gone on to doing it because there's nothing there. So in a way, it's a sensible thing to do. Oh, if you can. I myself have sort of stacked up on, on a few things, materials I need. I'm just a just a plasterer. <laughs> Not just a plasterer, Darren. <laughs> but I, I, I stacked up on materials uh, when we got out from the last lockdown thinking, I don't want to get caught like this again. But then you start doing things around the house. You go, oh, I need some framing to, for this, blah, 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 and then you can't get it. And you think it's going to get worse? I look at the trucks carrying that timber around. Um, if you drive around, you'll see them, and you think, I just wonder, I look at them and think, are they the last ones? <laughs> you know, are they the last trucks driving around with, with, uh, with, with pallet loads of timber on board? I don't know, but it's, um, you ring around trying to get some 4 by 2 and, and good luck with that. And it's everything. It's timber, it's nails. Most of our nails are come out of Asia and places like China that are now going through their own sort of contraction in terms of production because they don't have the energy due to, you know, a lack of uh, coal and the whole adjustment around, you know, trying to shift away from coal, that's now exposed that actually um, the, the actual supply chain and the manufacturing base is not set up for it yet. So there's all the, the, this, this myriad of things that actually all come back to affect your plasterer. On one level, it's a fascinating process, but it is also a very, very concerning one. Darren was telling me, this tradesman was telling me, he's hearing from uh, builders who are hoarding stuff, stuff being stolen from building sites. And also he heard of a situation the other day where two builders were actually fighting each other over some materials in a store. All of that's happening. What everyone's having to do in the supply chain, you know, whether you're a manufacturer or supplier, you're having to allocate. And so there's a, there's a huge amount of allocation going on because people are putting in these big, big orders, bigger than they'd normally do because they are stockpiling. And because that just-in-time delivery uh, model has gone out the window and people can't depend upon getting something next week or even in the next 12 weeks or even in the next three or four months, they are putting in orders ahead of time and much bigger than they ordinarily would. And that's then adding significant pressure to an existing system that already is trying to catch up on a backlog. What that means is for your, for your builder or your plumber or your tradie, they also are trying to, well, they, they're not having to cope and manage that because they don't normally carry large infantries. That's just not how we're set up. And so if they're having to then also uh, buy more product and store it, now, one, they've got to find a place to store it, and, and a lot of places are only built to carry an inventory for, you know, three or four weeks, not three or four months. So it's even just a, a, a space issue. There's also the cash flow issue. So, you know, if you're a small tradie and you're now locking up a lot of your cash flow in product, you then are taking a risk in that you're using up any existing cash reserves, but also you don't know necessarily whether and when you're going to get paid or when that product is used or put into a build and when the build's completed, when, when a code of compliance is received and you can actually finally get paid. And you say that, you know, people are coming to you from all different corners of the industry, but what can you actually do? If a builder is having trouble accessing some material and that's stopping them from getting on with their work, can you do anything about that? 
Yeah, well, look, we, uh, we've proven ourselves to be quite effective at uh, the Building Industry Federation as an advocacy organisation on behalf of New Zealand's building supply chain. One, I'll give you a couple of examples. During the Level 4 lockdown, when Auckland was in that split between Level 4 and the rest of the country being Level 3, we were the organisation that actually pushed for the exemptions to get some critical materials flowing out of Auckland into the rest of the country. Because Auckland, um, being you know the engine room for the building supply chain in New Zealand, holds about 90% of all materials. But also, you know, if there are materials that are being held up, or there are things, practices that perhaps are not um, ideal, or there are blockages in the system, we work very closely with MB. Uh, one, make them aware of things that are, are pressure points in the system. Also, sometimes, you know, they as the regulator can actually, um, uh, you know, tap a um, participant in the market on the shoulder and go, oi, what you're doing there isn't quite quite what it should be. Or can you help out or can you change your behaviours? Another thing that Darren said to me was that he thinks that maybe some tradespeople are getting the word that a shipment is coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think with the disruption in global logistics and freight, it's the whole flow and effect. So it's it's not just from the time a container, you know, arrives at the Port of Auckland or, or somewhere else. It's then getting the freight forwarders and, and the trucking companies to deliver those goods. You know, so there are several steps to this and they've all ballooned out in terms of time. People are having to plan ahead. If they know, look, um, there's a vessel coming out of Shenzhen or even Australia, can we, one, get material and goods loaded and on that vessel? And to give you an example, if we were to load or make an order today for some product out of China, it won't get here by Christmas. So, So people are definitely working much more closely on the procurement side with people that can provide them with something. Um, and going to a multitude of sources to get products. So people are now much more aware and know a lot more about global freight than they ever did before, (laughs) that's for sure. Well, we all do now, don't we? We all kind of know how the supply chain works. We do, and if you think about going back, was it early this year when we had... A huge shipping traffic jam in the Suez Canal. And this is the problem. The bow of a 220,000-tonne container ship stuck at the side of the waterway. And then we had um, Yantian Port, which is the fourth biggest uh, container port in, in the world in China, where they basically just closed that down because of COVID. It has a capacity of about 13 million containers each year. And so, and it's right next to you know, Guangzhou, you know, the manufacturing heartland of China. And so there's just massive amounts of cargo that hasn't been shipped through this port over the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks, which is backed up. And what China's doing, and this is also why it's having such a big impact on the global supply chain, they still have that focus on elimination. So if they only get one or two cases of COVID, they will shut a port down, which in turn has, has, the, has this massive flow and effect. And then we've also had typhoons in Asia. You know, when I've looked at these um, real-time uh, satellite photos showing Shenzhen and Hong Kong ports with with a record number of vessels sitting outside just uh, waiting to be unloaded. Same thing's happening happening in, in LA where they're trying to move to a 24-hour shift. All these things are adding cost and time, and that's all impacting on what's arriving in, in New Zealand as well as what's leaving. 
And of course, all this is happening as the government ramps up efforts to build more homes. Labour and National have jointly announced changes to building density rules in major cities in an effort to ease the housing crisis. It includes new intensification rules, allowing up to three three-storey homes to be built on most sites without resource consent. But right now, how can that happen? Well, it can't. Um, so we we had in in well we had last month in August a record of I think forty six thousand new building consents, and I think Infrometrics just said um, in their October report that they're expecting that to go to fifty thousand by next year. We've only ever built, and, it, and this is you know pre COVID when things when we actually had a global supply chain that worked and a normal domestic supply chain, we've only ever built forty thousand. So that tells you that with the lack of skilled labour, with the lack of materials, that, that we're just not going to better build. And mm. so to your point, uh, with, with this announcement as well, on one hand, it is exciting and it is great. And that's going to be you know, what we need in terms of meeting our uh, demand for housing. What is going to be a massive problem is going to be actually where we get the materials from. But so when you presented at the Westpac webinar. Can a bank do anything, be involved in any way? Because they seem to be making a lot of money right now from the construction (laughs) boom. I mean, it's going to get tricky, isn't it? Because as you say, prices have gone up and up and up. I know of at least two groups of people who are building or wanting to build homes at the moment. Things have been held up for various reasons. And now with, with inflation the price is no longer the price that they were quoted for building their house. So what, what does the bank do about that? You've gone to them, they've approved your loan for, you know, 500000 and now it's going to cost maybe 20% more, possibly even higher than that. Absolutely. It's, it's a huge problem, and some people actually have had to walk away, not just homeowners but also contractors or builders, if they know that getting tied into a project is not going to be economically viable, like in other words, their profitability is going to be wiped out, they will walk away and and that has happened. So I think we are seeing some of those sort of pain points in the market. And I don't think it's over yet because with inflation just having risen 4.9% and also with the OCR, you know, with the Reserve Bank likely to be making further increases when, you know, if people are highly leveraged and highly geared, as many of them are, because housing affordability is a big problem, that's going to impact on people in, in ways in which they are going to struggle to meet payments. So in some cases, you know, really having to then readjust or walk away from projects, which is a you know, tragedy. So what's the upside that you know, we are looking at, at different ways of um, how we get products. We are looking to diversify our risk. You know, previously where people would have gone to one supplier that, for a product, they're now looking for a range of substituted products. We're also seeing um, much better planning right from the get-go, from the time they're looking at a design and, and procurement around materials. It's also causing people to think about investment in ways in which they they might have been holding off doing you know more uptake in technology for example the the rise in modular housing and modern methods of construction it's 18 months more i think of new zealand adjusting to 
the global supply chain issues and the domestic issues. And so prices are going to go up, but there is a way through it. Now, before we go, a wonderful outcome to a story we told in June on the detail. It's about Chris Bennett from Golden Bay Mohua Affordable Housing Project and his ambition to build 100 houses. Chris Bennett says he's got the formula, he's got the support, the labour and the land, and he can build houses for $150,000. $20 million, we could build 100 houses in Golden Bay. But what about the money? Well, he's tried and tried and tried again. There's no financing available for affordable housing from anyone in New Zealand. That's where Olaf Adam from Westpac's sustainability team came in. I was on the bus home from work in the evening, um, just going over to Harbour Bridge, really, and listening to the great story of Chris's fantastic project. Yeah, and as I was thinking... This makes a lot of sense. The call-out came that the banks weren't really coming to the party, so that sort of kind of felt like a challenge to me. From what I heard in the podcast, I understood the complexity of what he was trying to do and the challenges that came with it. So I, I, I recognize that it's not really a straightforward solution there, but um, at the same time, I also realized that, you know, there was a way potentially through that. So um, I... You know, immediately send a few text messages and a um, couple of emails and next day followed up with a few calls and just since checking my thinking with some of my colleagues and then getting the right people involved on taking that thinking forward. Once a couple of, of my colleagues um, from the various parts of the bank agreed with me, you know, we reached out to, to Chris, got more detail and um, started working away at it. And um, yeah, and it looks like we've like we may have found a solution for it, which is great. And Chris Bennett says his group is now looking at whether to buy some land near Takaka and build 50 houses. Well, that's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded by NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode. Adrian Holley engineered it. Thanks to Julian Lays and Darren McClay. Ma te wa.